Hello and welcome to the Cedarville Stories Podcast. It's Sarah Gump here. Today's episode is a special one. George Huff, professor of social work, shares how his difficult recovery from a bicycle accident led him to making a new friend. Now here's your host, Mark Weinstein. Thank you, Sarah Gump. It's good to be back for another week of the Cedarville Stories Podcast. I'm Mark Weinstein, and today on the program I have a very special guest with an amazing story. You're going to want to stay tuned and listen to the story of George Huff in just a few minutes. But first, I want to thank our faithful listeners who hear the podcast all over the world. The number of downloads continues to increase with each week, and I consistently receive feedback about our podcast. Thanks for that feedback, and I welcome your thoughts and, and suggestions of future guests. Just email me at mweinstein at cedarville.edu. Thanks. Now for today's program. George Huff is professor of social work at Cedarville University. He's worked as a social worker for 25 years, assessing families of abuse and neglect, as well as managing adoption, foster care, and volunteer services. George, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you on the program. I'm really excited for our listeners to hear your amazing journey. So thanks for joining me. So um, one reason why I'm excited to have George on the program today is because I just love his enthusiasm for life and his steadfastness in all that he does. I met George about six years ago. Uh, I think he was around 62 years of age at the time, and he experienced a terrible bicycle accident. And we're going to dive into that story in a little bit. But for now, um, what I saw was a guy with an incredible love for others, a kind and gentle man, and strangely enough, a person who does not eat lunch. I can't understand why anyone will not eat lunch. So, George, the hardest question of the day is, why don't you eat lunch? Well, it was when I was uh, employed at uh, Children's Services where I was um, uh, there assessing families of abuse and neglect for over, you know, over 25 years. But during those first few years, I came to realize I really needed to get out of the office. And so I started going to a YMCA and in the course of doing that over my lunch, I started taking, you know, in a lunch, uh, but it just consisted of, of fruit. I thought that was something that would be good for me to eat while I was uh, coming back from my workout. And that was a way for me to kind of deal with getting rid of all of the emotions that I was experiencing while uh, there assessing uh, very difficult situations with children and families. And I knew that was probably uh, good for me emotionally and and physically. Coming back, so I would eat some uh, fruit. And what evolved was uh, deciding not to take anything in. And what I would do is I'd come back and um, drink water because I'd been exercising that hour. And it just has been consistent then, something in my life where, yes, that's true, and people find that hard to believe, and I do not eat, eat lunch. And I still, to this day, try to exercise over my noon hour. So it's something that's been a pattern for me probably since I was in my uh, early 30s. How many... Um... I want to move to uh, something I saw on the Cedarville website. It, it's your bio. And the question was, why did you come to Cedarville? And I quote what you, what you said. 
I want students to know that it's possible to be a Christian and practice social work in the public sector. So my question to you, George, is it difficult as a Christian to practice social work in the public sector? And if so, why? It definitely is uh, di difficult uh, for a Christian to uh, practice social work. Well, not just social work, but I want, would like to also address that from other professions. That can be in in nursing, that can be in, in education. I don't want to speak on, on behalf of those disciplines, but when you are in a public sector where we are, especially today, uh, it's difficult for a Christian to address uh, things uh, from an integration basis. But I attempted to uh, do so uh, when I was in the public sector. And by that, I mean by, by word and by deed. And uh, when the opportunities presented itself, and it's really a privilege to be able to, to do that. And I always thought that when I was, if the Lord led me into education, and for a number of years, actually 15 of those years, I taught adjunct and thought that if the opportunity came where I could be on a Christian university, uh, that I would like to be able to stand before students and let them know that it is possible to integrate your faith and practice. Is it going to be easy? Absolutely not. Will present its challenges? You better believe it. But that is an opportunity for a Christian to be salt and light in the world. The Lord obviously opens doors, as I believe, for us, as he did for me to go into social work, yes, in a um, public setting, but we have an opportunity to uh, minister and be a lampstand for him. And I just wanted to uh, be able to convey that to my students in a way that, uh, to let them know that they, they can be, that they, they needn't um, pull away and say, well, if, if I'm going into social work, I can't, I can't be a lampstand for him. Absolutely not. You can be. And I, I attempt as a professor at Cedarville to uh, show them ways in which that can be done. I think that's great. And I think you could take what you said and apply it to really any profession. I, I think of the work of public relations um, is so much opposed to Christianity and, and truth-telling. And so it takes a conscious effort and a commitment to Christ to, to do like what I do, even at a Christian university, with integrity, um, honoring Christ. Um, because in many ways, the, the secular world is looking for something else. So I, I, I'm glad that you, you do that. I'm glad you take that opportunity with your students. Uh, for, well, as I mentioned at the start of the introduction of the podcast, I mentioned that you experienced a terrible bicycle accident. And, and that's really where I want to camp for the, really the remainder of the podcast. That, that accident, uh, if I remember correctly, was on July 21st of 2014. It's probably a day that you'll always remember. Can you uh, take us back to that day uh, and share that story with us? Absolutely. Uh, sometimes I remember it as if it were yesterday. Uh, but... I was, uh, I had a meeting at Cedarville. I live about uh, 20 minutes from Cedarville and I was on my way back. Uh, and this, 
I had I had ridden my bike before back and forth from Cedarville University to my home. How far is that ride, George? That's about 12 miles. One way. One way. Okay. Yes. So I had ridden my bicycle over to Cedarville. I had a meeting, uh, kind of an informal meeting. Uh, and so I decided, boy, it was a pretty morning. I'd get on my bike, my, my bicycle, and I'd ride over. Things went fine. And on my way back from that meeting, um, I was, uh, unbeknownst to me, that there was a flatbed construction truck that came up behind me and essentially uh, sideswiped me, hit me from behind. And it was his mirrors on the side of the truck besides the, the truck sideswiping me, which I can picture being right there in my face, just in, in glancing for a second and knowing something was terribly wrong that I was pole vaulted off into the air off my bicycle. And, you know, I laid in a, um, cornfield soybean ditch and I in my screams of pain and being in and out of consciousness I, I knew something terribly something terribly had happened to me and everything was black uh, I didn't see any light and I remember some a woman I believe I tried to find her <clears throat> I thought her name was Sharon had come down uh, to hold my head and try to talk with me and trying to find out who I was, where I was going, that kind of thing. But I was in and out of consciousness, and it probably was not making a lot of sense to her anyway. I do remember a uh, discussion, whether they were going to care flight me or take me by ambulance. I did end up going by ambulance. Care flight was on standby, uh, and but I was a mess. I thought that <clears throat> in my brokenness there in that ditch, that I was going to pass away. There was no doubt in my mind that uh, from what I could surmise that I was going to pass away. There were a couple thoughts that I, I had right then that I want everybody to know is that in that moment, I began to think of God's word and I thought, well, you've prepared a place for me. Uh, you, you've known me before the foundation of the world. You've chosen me in Christ. You've prepared a place for me. You love me with an everlasting love. You're present in a time of need, in my need, and you'll never, ever leave me nor forsake me. Those were promises that I can tell you that came to mind before I passed out again. And I thought that I was just I mean, those promises came to mind, and I, I kind of meditated on those, and that was my hope, because I thought I was going to pass away. Little did I know that I would end up uh, being taken into Miami Valley Hospital here or there in Dayton. That's where I began, you know, my journey there in the, in the hospital. I, I broke my wrist. I slid open my and this is all on my left side. I, I broke my, my left wrist. I slid open my left arm that needed to be stitched. Uh, I broke all of my, my ribs on my left side. I broke a, a bone in my leg. And then my left foot uh, swelled up like a, a watermelon. I mean, it just became, it was just huge. And in that, I uh, ended up... Uh, 
having surgery, surgeries, um, given my, my, um, accident and where this all evolved was that, uh, I was in excruciating pain, not just from, from having been hit by this truck where I wasn't really even able to walk while for a good portion of the time that I was in the hospital, but, and, and given all my other um, brokenness, when I say brokenness, my, my scabs and my, my bruises. And I'll never forget that on the one side of my left side, my, my whole body was just one huge black and blue mark. And my right side of my body was, was its natural color. But on my left side, it was just totally black and blue. But the, where I'm going with my story is that being there in the hospital at Miami Valley, they put me on the trauma unit. And one of the thoughts when I was lucid enough to, to know what was going on about me, as I was on so much uh, different kinds of, of medications, uh, I now know why I was on the trauma unit. They put me on the trauma, trauma unit because of my accident. And I want to come back to that in, in just a minute, but I, I want to just finish with the thought of not being able to predict my deaths. I, I thought I was going to pass away in the ditch. That didn't happen. Then I thought I was going to pass away in the hospital. Why would I have thought that? That was my question. Yeah, I was in so much pain. And, and I realized that uh, and my doc, I, I didn't want to um, be so focused on the pain medication, thinking that you know, I could somehow handle that. And my doctors, every morning, there was always um, two or three doctors at my, my, the foot of my bed, as well as some nurses, and they would all be consulting mainly with my wife. I, I didn't really couldn't participate in that. But I learned that they were saying that I really needed to uh, focus on getting well. And in order for me to get well, I needed to take this pain medication so that my body would would focus on, on, on healing rather than focusing on the pain because otherwise it would divert itself into um, wanting to deal with the pain. So I needed to be on this, all, all these different kinds of pain medications given my, my brokenness. But what they learned was that I was bleeding internally to death. Oh, wow. And so what they did is that they opened me up from my chest to about six to eight inches below my navel they slipped me open. Mm. And what they did is they, they drained out not one liter, not two liters, but two and a half liters of blood that what they call had displaced itself, had pooled in my belly. Wow. So what, what I was dealing with was in my brokenness is that I was internally bleeding to death and all this blood was, was pooling in my belly and I was in excruciating pain. I never thought that when they took me off to surgery, and of course, I didn't know that that was necessarily what was wrong with me, um, that they noted my colon had been bruised. Mm. They noted that my, all, my intestines had been, pulled, had been pushed up underneath my rib cages, mm. my rib cage, and that my spleen was the culprit, that it had been pulverized and that it was displacing all this blood. So I lost my spleen yeah. in all of that. And then they stapled me up 
and then uh, but I never thought I would I never thought I would live through that surgery. George, when did you first get the idea that okay, I, I'm I'm terribly bruised and battered and injured, but I'm going to su- survive. When did that first moment come that you're going to make it? I I would have to say that the reality of my being able to live came probably when I came to realize that I was going to be discharged. And how long was that process? I was in the I was in the, in the trauma unit for two weeks. So in those two weeks, there were many days where I didn't think that I was going to to survive in, in my brokenness and 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 not knowing that during that first week I was continuing to to internally bleed, and then in my second week uh, that I was going to go going to have to experience a surgery. So I have to say to you that there was a lot of time in the hospital where uh, I didn't understand what was going, going on. I, I was um, under so much medication and under so much turmoil and brokenness. It wasn't, I think, till later in those two weeks that I thought, well, there I guess I'm able to eat something here now. I lost 15 pounds when I was in the hospital. So I, I began to think that there was the possibility that I was going to, to, to make it. However, when we did get, when I did finally get discharged, I had five doctors working with me. I had an occupational therapist, a physical therapist, and a visiting nurse all helping me after my, my discharge. There was a time after my discharge where my wife would say, and I would agree with her, that maybe I shouldn't have come home as early as I did because I, I had a huge, huge setback and just a terrible problems that had set, that had come in, into me, and we thought that I was going to need to be readmitted in that first week that I was home. But there was the, the long recovery after that. How long of a recovery did you did it take? A year or more? Oh, I did not come back to um, Cedarville University for the fall semester. And then um, I came back part-time in the spring semester, only part-time. So I would have to say that where I was actually able to uh, feel pretty good about where I was when it comes to recovery was probably one year one year after my my accident. So I would say that as far as feeling like I was actually, so to speak, up to speed would have been one year. I, re- I remember when you came back and uh, uh, you did a lot of um, media interviews talking about your story and your journey. And, and the, the, one of the cool stories that came out of this, and you can uh, fill in the blanks, but... Um, some Cedarville students came alongside you to help you in your recovery. One in particular, who was, was she a, I don't know what her role, OT, PT, um, what, what, what was that, who, who was that student and what did she do to help you? But in return, you also helped her. Her name was Anissa and she was a senior who was in the exercise sports science um, major. And I'd contacted a colleague of mine, uh, 
Dr. Uh, April Crummett, and she uh, came up with a student because I asked her, I said, you know, I, I have a, a huge recovery before me uh, physically, and uh, do you have somebody that you would that you could think of that could come alongside me and help me when I come over to campus uh, that could uh, work with me to get my strength back. Some of my, I wanted to come back. I wanted to come back physically, maybe even more so than where I was before my accident. And Anissa was uh, assigned to me and she, uh, every week, if not once, twice, three times when I would come over to campus, she would meet with me in the athletics uh, center setting and um, she would help me with um, uh, different machines. She would help me with uh, exercise machines, weight machines. And there was a, uh, she was just a wonderful inspiration to me. And what I learned later when working with Anissa is that she had just lost her a grandparent, her grandmother, I believe. And I was able to uh, kind of help her with her loss and even, I guess, my substituting for Anissa in that realm where she had experienced such a uh, terrible loss in her life. And all of a sudden there I was filling in not that I could ever fill in for her grandmother, but that I filled in a void in her life. And we were able to talk through and, and spend a lot of time together around that grief that she was experiencing. And of course, she was a blessing to me because she was filling in a huge void in my life where I needed somebody to help me in my recovery, to, to come alongside of me and care for me, uh, walk with me, uh, help me get on on these on some of the machines. I could not get on some of the machines by myself. I couldn't couldn't uh, walk. Pretty, I, I wasn't able to walk very well by myself. And she would put her arm around me and help me walk and and all of that. So it was quite a um, significant relationship that I'll always remember in my life. Yeah, I remember. I remember that time. And you were you were fragile. You were frail. And uh, she did take care of you well. And and I did hear. I did know the story of just how you also helped her. Uh, and as I think about that, I'd like to transition it now toward um, a, a spiritual side of the story, but he brought two people together who needed each other for the time that they were involved in. And it's just a beautiful picture of how God cares about everything in our lives. And he orchestrated that at the right time for the right people. As I, as I pivot a little toward, you know, taking your story, your accident, and looking at it from a kingdom perspective, I'm reminded in James that we are encouraged to consider it pure joy whenever we face trials of many kinds because we know that the testing of our faith produces perseverance. And um, this and ultimately leads to us becoming mature and complete in Jesus. So with that as a backdrop, were you ever able to consider it pure joy in the weeks, months, even years after the accident? And if so, how? I appreciate the question because that has been a, what I wanted to be my testimony um, in this huge trial that I have experienced in, in my life. Uh, this this uh, certainly uh, re uh, resulted in my, big, you know, looking at how the Lord works in and through us and to find, uh, you know, good. 
knowing that he works all things together for good and to realize that my accident, though I plan my paths that day, and I've shared this with people, I've, I plan my paths that day to ride my bicycle, but he directed my steps and he directed my steps to be hit by that truck. I happen to believe that with all my heart as a, as a Christian, or I don't believe in his word, which I, I do. I, and therefore I have to take that first and accept that as my walk that day that he ordained for me to be hit by that truck. Now out of that was for my good and his glory. And I just can't tell you what this has meant in my life to the extent of being able to be a guest speaker in the nursing department in their mental health class to talk about trauma the, the number of opportunities I've had to meet with students, colleagues of mine, uh, friends and family, let alone the opportunities I've had to uh, share this through the media in, in, many, in many ways. And so I have tried to present the fact that I happen to believe in, in Thessalonians here, it says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and to give thanks in all things. And sometimes I think we get, even as Christians, thinking that I'll only thank him for the things that go well in my life. And I have wanted to give to be um, somebody or to give testimony as a Christian that I want to give thanks for being hit by a truck. And I have had more than my share of people over the years since my accident either email me or come to my office and say to me, I don't know that I understand what you mean by that. And I, it's like we, we need to be um, very aware of the fact that it's not just when we aren't hit by the truck. I, w I didn't come home to my wife that day and say, my honey, uh, do you know that I was almost hit by that truck, a truck today? And let's give thanks for the fact that I wasn't hit. No, I was hit. I was taken out. I was um, severely uh, injured and life-threatening. And so my thought is in understanding scripture is that I'm supposed to give thanks when I am hit by that truck, not just when I'm not hit by that truck. And that has been what I want to share with your listeners. And, and as I continue, continue to live this out it's an opportunity when we go through a trial, whatever that might be. And by the way, many of us won't be hit by a truck, for example, like I was, but we're going to run in, we're going to be hit like we feel we've been hit by a truck, by a Mack truck. And so what should our, our reaction be? Uh, are we going to uh, give thanks for being hit by that, by that truck? And I'm grateful that, um, uh, I've had the opportunity to give thanks because I know in Job it speaks, he knows the way I take and, and when he has tried me, I'll come forth as gold. And so this has been, I, I in no way um, saying that this has been um, a small trial in my life. This has been huge in my life. And I have had many trials, but this has been a significant physical and an emotional trial. Right. And George, I, I appreciate uh, your willingness to share your story today on the podcast. And in the months after the accident with the media, uh, you were so faithful to do that and use it for, for God's glory. 
so you you were hit by the by the truck uh have you been able to forgive the t truck driver or have you been able to communicate with the truck driver since the accident i have forgiven the truck driver though i haven't been able to do that verbally i had uh taken the opportunity uh, through a cedarville magazine to put it in a large envelope where i was featured uh and that with my story and I sent it to this gentleman and I said to him, here's my story. I want you to know I'm okay. I didn't get any uh, response from him. Um, I have never had any closure with him. I would like to um, um, have an opportunity to meet him. I, I There is no bitterness there. There's no, uh, I, I have left with the, this with the Lord, this, this, isn't something about him and me. It's about the Lord's work in my life and how he used this situation, this man to uh, run, run me down. Uh, but it does, uh, it doesn't allow closure, but I am, uh, I'm fine with that. And I move on. Well, I pray that sometime even soon that you'll be able to get that closure and have a have a good conversation with the truck driver so he can see who you are and what is ultimately important to you, and that's your relationship with Jesus. I have time for one last question, and I ask this to probably all my guests on the podcast. Um, you know, we, we're dealing with a lot of things in our society right now with unrest, with COVID. What is the Lord teaching you right now as you read and study His Word? Once again, is to come away from from looking at his word and recognizing that he is King of Kings and Lord of Lords and that he in fact has a plan, not only for each and every one of his children, but also things in a macro way, in a global way. And that all what we need to do as his children is to remain faithful because he is faithful to us. It may look like things of COVID-19 and, and other kinds of unrest, we need to come to recognize again that our responsibility is to look eternally, not, and, and what I mean by that is to look vertically, not horizontally, or to seek uh, things eternally, think, seek things above, not here on earth. And that would be the continued points of my reference, even in my, even in my trial, even in my accident, that I not uh, walk away from this and focus on things here on earth and make it a horizontal focus. I need to be looking at this on a vertical basis in an internal way. And so that's what God's word continues to teach me, not only in my trial, but where we are today in our, in our walk in society is that we need to continue to make him our focus by being faithful to him and to recognize that he is worthy of our of our trust. Thanks for sharing that. That's a great perspective because it's the right perspective. And uh, I, I know you know this because I've said this to you before in person, but I'll say it publicly. I have great admiration and respect for you. I love being in your company. You pick on me, which is great. You're just a wonderful, you're just a wonderful colleague. And uh, I pray God's blessing for you and Ginger for the days and weeks and years to come. And uh, for this podcast, thanks for joining me and sharing your story with our guests. Appreciate it, George. Thank you very much, Mark. Thank you for listening to Cedarville Stories podcast, brought to you by Cedarville University. 
If you were encouraged by this conversation, like I was, please share this episode with a friend. If you know of an awesome Cedarville story, share it with us. We would love to showcase how God is at work in the Cedarville family. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another Cedarville story for God's glory.